Welcome to Gospel Mission Church's message podcast. We pray that God will meet you in this time with a fresh revelation of His love for you and that you will be challenged to align with the amazing plans that God has waiting for you. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning. I was uh, saying at the first service and can't help but say it again. It is so good to be here and see so many wonderful faces. I know um, last week was kind of my first week here for a few weeks. I spoke in Morden, spoke at a different church, and had a week of holidays, and so I hadn't been here for a few weeks before last week. And just coming back again last week and seeing all these faces again here, both services, is just so amazing. And, you know, I've been here for just over a year now on staff, and it's so fun to join a family of people who are hungry for more of the Lord, going after him. And so um, I just couldn't help but say that again. And my summer's been going pretty good as I've been getting ready for GMDS. And, and I have to say, like, I, I'm getting really excited. Like, if it started um, tomorrow, I would be, I mean, I'd have a little bit of work to do right now. But, like, emotionally, I'm there. I want it to start. I'm so excited. It was cool to get a, a number more applications than we did last year. And I'm still expecting a few more. And one of the really cool, totally unexpected things this year is we have a, one of our students who's coming is coming from Europe. We have another one from the States. And, and it's so cool to see the Lord draw people here. And it just kind of had me thinking, because I, I think there's a lie that we sometimes believe that, that God's probably never going to do anything really powerful in Winkler. You know, when you think about having an experience where you go to really have an encounter with God, often people think of going somewhere else, but God's actually drawing some people here. And, I, and I'm, I'm encouraged by that personally. You know, I, w- I was thinking a little bit earlier this morning, too, about one of our first weeks at GMDS last year, where in the midst of worship, the presence of God came in such a powerful way. And I, I remember just blown away. It's like, I cannot believe we're in week two, and the Holy Spirit is here meeting us like this. This is so amazing. And watching what the Lord did in our students' lives as they were growing in their faith and um, and then even seeing some of the things that the Lord did as we actually saw a few physical healings, other things like that. And in the midst of it, the Lord was so clearly speaking, not just to me, but to the students over and over and over again, we haven't seen anything yet. And, and it has me encouraged as we head into this year. And so I, I just, I just want to throw this out there. If there's anyone here age 18 to 25 and you're not sure what you're doing in fall, or maybe you're the parent of someone like that and you want to give them a loving, you know, little little hoof of encouragement, um, there's still room. If you're hungry for God, we would love to have you in the midst of our school. We have information online, all that sort of stuff. But, but I'm, just, I'm, I'm just personally um, really, really encouraged by that. Like I was saying, the applications that are coming in, um, we're just going to have a blast. And it's fun that we get to do this as a family, uh, to sow into this next generation. I believe the Lord's up to something that is certainly with with this church as a whole, but, but kind of in my tiny little sphere of it with GMDS, um, I think he's really up to something that's a lot bigger than, than I even know. And so it's so fun to be a part of it. So this morning, we're going to continue on in our series, Summer in the Psalms. And I was joking with a couple of friends this week that um, it seems like so many of my messages are just right along the same theme. And this one is going to be too. I'm not, I'm not changing. Because um, <laughs> the Lord's really was putting Psalm 132 on my heart over the last few weeks. I was going for a few week walks, talking with the Lord, and the Lord kept bringing Psalm 132 back to me in a powerful way. And one of the things I find myself drawn to in the Psalms is the Psalms of David. The Psalms that, that David himself wrote, or in this case, Psalm 132, the first five verses is, um, they're recording some words of David. And I think one of the reasons for this is that the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. And one of the amazing things about these psalms that are either about David or written by David, it's, it's like we get to read his prayer journal. Right? Like here's one of these guys who is considered a hero in the faith, certainly flawed, certainly had his issues, but called a man after God's own heart. But we don't have to speculate about what was going on in his mind. Because it's right there for us. Like we get his Holy Spirit-inspired prayer journal for us to read. So last week when Pastor Josue, he was teaching on Psalm 51, and it was like David's honest thoughts after like unimaginable moral failure and his interaction with God, and we actually get to read through it. 
We get to read through what he was thinking, how he processed things. And, and, and for myself, I think as, as someone just like you, I want to be a person after God's own heart. Well, who better to learn from than someone in Scripture who is called a man after God's own heart? So Psalm 132, um, possibly written by Solomon. They're not really sure. It was obviously someone who had some clear knowledge of David and, and this vow that he made. The psalm itself is is amazing and probably is worth several different messages to go through all of it, so I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to hit the first five verses where it talks about David this morning, um, rather than try to do the whole thing and do a poor job of it. We'll just focus in on these first five verses. But these verses say this, Lord, remember David and all of his self-denial. He swore an oath to the Lord. He made a vow to the Holy One of, to, or to the Mighty One of Jacob. I will allow no sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the Mighty One of Jacob. And there's this, this desire in David's heart for there to be a dwelling place for the presence of God in the midst of their community. And actually, we, as, we, as we read through the story of David, we, we find out that actually he wasn't the one to build the temple, his son was, but David made all these different preparations, and there's, there's so much that went into the building of the temple, but the thing that gripped me when I was reading through those five verses was this. What was it that David understood that ignited this fire for the dwelling place of the Lord, for the presence of God, what was it that ignited that hunger for him in his heart? Where he said, the Lord has to have a dwelling place here in our, in our community. He said, the Lord has to have a dwelling place here in our city. What was it that he understood? What was it that was going on in David's heart that, that he was willing to give everything? Because really, when you go through it, he actually ended up giving billions of his own dollars into the building of the temple. What was it that consumed him? God, there has to be a dwelling place for your spirit in our midst. That's the question I want to jump in today. And, and as we do that, I'm going to be, I want to be hitting on an important reality. So I want to say this right off the start, because I'm going to be talking about encounters with God. And I don't think that encounters with God is all that there is to Christianity. In fact, my faith is rested on what Jesus did on the cross, not on any experience, not on any encounter. And I want to say that clearly off the start. That is where my faith rests on. But the Bible clearly teaches a theology of encounter. It teaches us of a God who loves to encounter men and women. Does our faith rest on encounter or experience? No, it rests on faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross. But this is an important aspect of Christianity. I think actually there's, there's two ditches when it comes to pursuing the Lord, and probably more than this, but two that, that I often see people going to two extremes. And, and one is the extreme of emotionalism. It's to have a faith that is basically based on how you're feeling from day to day. And if, if your faith is based on emotion or feeling, your faith is going to look like this. It's, there's going to be ups, and, but a lot of downs, and probably more downs and ups. And that's a really, really hard way to live your life because it's not based on something solid. It's based on your feelings. Your feelings come and go. So we want to stay out of that ditch of, of just pursuing pure emotionalism. The other ditch, and, and, and honestly, in, in some cultures, that, like, that's, that's a real risk that people just run after emotionalism. But in some cultures, we forget that there's a second ditch too. And that second ditch is intellectualism. And the ditch of intellectualism, it says this basically is, hey, I can understand God myself. I know everything there is to know about God. And, and I got them all figured out. And the perfect example of that biblically is the Pharisees. If you sat down with a Bible study, for a Bible study with the Pharisees, they could teach that Old Testament backwards and forwards. They could teach you in circles. You'd be in awe of their knowledge of the word. But then God himself was standing right in front of them and they completely missed him. They thought they had all the understanding, all the knowledge, all the Bible studies in the world, and God was right in front of them and they actually missed him completely. So here's the truth, is that we want to love God with everything that we have and avoid those extremes. Jesus said in Matthew 22, the great commandment was that we were to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So all of your heart, all of your emotions, we, faith is emotional. You will engage your emotions as you worship God. And with your mind, you need to engage your mind. You need to engage your mind as you engage with God. 
but, but we actually find that spirit and truth, these two things come together. And, and emotion and, and intellect, these two things come together to create a balance because we don't want just dry religion where we have all the language, but our heart is stone cold. But we also don't want to be chasing after just emotion. And it's all about a feeling and there's no stability. There's no truth underwriting it. So we want both of those components in our faith. And that's important to say. But what drives me to David is this, this, this hunger component. And so again, I could do a whole sermon about being rooted in the word. And that's a lot of what we teach at GMDS, being rooted in the word. And I'm going to use a lot of scripture this morning. But I will be emphasizing more this encounter part today. And I just want to say very, very clearly off the start, it's not because I don't think the intellectual side isn't important. I do. I have six years of Bible school. I believe it's important. I'm just hitting on this other aspect today. And so I want to say that very clearly because I know that often when it comes to talking about experiences or encounters with God, people get pretty uptight in a hurry. And so I just want to make sure that, that, that I'm clear on that. So that being said, that's a big aside, but I know that this is an issue that can like really um, cause offense sometimes in people's heart or misunderstanding. So I want to do my best to explain this well. But, but the question again that I, that I mentioned earlier was this, is what sparked this fire in David's heart? And there's three things I want to hit on today that I believe were aspects of what sparked this fire in David's heart for more of God. The first was this. David had encountered God personally. The second, David understood that God wanted to dwell tangibly in the midst of his people. That word tangibly is a big one there. And third, David understood that when God's manifest or his tangible presence was in the midst of his people, Good things happen. These three things, and I want to unpack those things as we go through the Bible and look at it over the rest of this morning. But before we do that, let's pray. Jesus, we want more of you. And Lord, we want to learn from David. And we know he's not the perfect example. But there was something in his life that drew you to him, that, that drew you to call him a man after your, your own heart. So God, I ask for ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And God, I ask for myself, for a mouth to speak only what you're saying. In Jesus' name, amen. So point number one, David had encountered God personally. He had encountered God personally. So last summer I, I spoke on Psalm 63, and in Psalm 63, verse 2, David makes a pretty intense statement. He says this He says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. I think I said the same thing last year when we were going through Psalm 63. I'll say it again. What on earth does that mean? <laughs> we don't know. All we know is that for sure it means David had some sort of encounter with God that the fruit of that encounter, all he could say about it was, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. And then it goes on in verse three and he says, because your love is better than life, I will praise you as long as I live. David had an encounter with God. What did that encounter create in him? That's, that's a key question. What do our encounters with God create in us? Because biblically, even when I look through the Old Testament, I see kind of like two fairly common responses to encounters with God. One is the hardening of the hearts. The Israelites had encounters with God, and it seemed like they kept hardening their hearts against him. But the other is in people like Moses, who in Exodus 33 can, can say, Now, Lord, show me your glory after he already had these other encounters with God, or it's, or it's like King David, and King David, he has these encounters with God, but the, the biblical, the, the, the right response God's wanting in the midst of encounters is that you see that it creates a deeper longing and a deeper hungering for more of him. And so David goes on and he says in Psalm 27, verse 4, this is the, this is the heart's cry of a man after God's own heart, and, and Pastor Claude mentioned this at the start of the series as well when he was talking on worship in early July. He mentioned this verse where David prays, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David is asking for an encounter with God. David is asking for an encounter with God. He's saying, there's one thing I want. I just want to be close to you. I just want to be in your presence. Now, those of you who are, who are married can maybe understand this. You don't need to be in the same room as your spouse to love them. You could be on the other side of the planet and still love them. But it's a lot more fun when you're side by side, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, your, your love, you don't want to, in a healthy marriage, your love's not waning when you're on the other side of the planet. You, you still love each other. You're still walking in faithfulness. You don't need to be side by side to love each other. You don't. But isn't it a lot more fun when you're actually with each other? And that's what David is saying. I don't think David's faith rested on experience. I think his faith rested on the knowledge of who God was. But at the same time, David was saying, oh, but you're good. And I just know that being close to you is awesome. God, I want to be close to you. And I think it's significant. We shouldn't overlook it. That a man after God's own heart, David, was asking for more of God. His encounters with God led him to a place of greater encounter. Not to a place of bragging about his encounters. Not towards like him ranking himself as more spiritual than someone else because he had an encounter. No, that wasn't what it was about at all for him. It wasn't about the person beside him. It was just that God was good and he wanted to have more of God in his life. Awesome. <laughs> he wanted more of God in his life. Recently, the Holy Spirit's been putting his finger on me personally. Even in, in preparing for some of the preaching I've been doing in summer, and I've, the Lord's been highlighting this theme of hunger in my own life, and, and so I was remembering back to a season like 15 years ago where, where the Lord profoundly worked in my life, and I realized when I talk about being hungry for God, I'm often telling stories from 15 years ago, and I've just started feeling convicted about that. It's not that I haven't hungered for God in between, but it's just not sitting right with me. I don't want my season of greatest zeal for the Lord to be in the past. Right? I don't want that season where my heart felt, felt most alive for God to be in the past. I want it now. I want it now. I don't want to live in some past experience. I don't want to live in some past zeal. Oh, Lord, I was so passionate for you when I was young, and I did all those things, and you know, now, now, now I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I don't know, we start making excuses. And in David, instead of excuses, I see hunger. No, I have to have more. And I've started to pray that for myself too, God. I, <laughs> I need a greater hunger for you in my life. And by the way, when you ask God for greater hunger for him, he's always faithful to answer it. Just keep praying it. And I can feel him starting to stir some things on the inside of me. But he's just starting, so I know I have to keep going in this process. God, I want more of you in my heart. So he had encountered God personally. But secondly, moving on, David understood that God wanted to dwell tangibly in the midst of his people. This is one that's going to feel like a bit of a stretch, but I got lots of Bible verses we'll be going through here. God wanted to dwell in a tangible way in the midst of his people. And actually, the closer to the, we get to the New Testament, the clearer this becomes, by the way. But think about it. The Bible starts with Adam and Eve walking in the garden with God. It starts with going for a walk, and it ends with a wedding. It starts with us eternally. It begins with us being with God in unbroken fellowship with him in the garden of God. Then sin came and created separation. But then the whole storyline is God wanting to dwell in the midst of his people, leading up to the Father himself coming and dwelling with us for all of eternity at the end of the book. So we see this theme, but, but let's go through a few verses. Um, before we even jump into that, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. In John 17, 24, Jesus said this. He said, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. He said, my desire is that those you have given me would be with me where I am and see my glory. So he prayed for two things in this prayer, in the high priestly prayer, and he prayed for more things too. But he prayed that we would be with him where he is, so he prayed for proximity, and he prayed that we would see his glory. He prayed for encounter. 
And we know biblically that that's going to ultimately be fulfilled at his second coming. And oh my goodness, it's going to be a good day. But even now, and, and as we go through the, the biblical narrative in the story, we see over and over and over again a God who actually wants us to encounter him along the way too. So in Exodus 25, verse 8, this is in the Old Testament. They're establishing the tabernacle of Moses, which was their first worship center that they had for the Israelites. So in, in Exodus 25, verse 8, God's about to give them all the instructions, and he says this. He says, have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. So the reason why they made the tabernacle of Moses was that God's presence would dwell among them. Well, what did that look like? Well, let's go up, keep on going to Exodus 40, verse 38. And this is stunning to me. And, and by the way, if you like this verse, read all of Exodus 40, especially the second half of it, because there's more description here. It says, So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. So let's just imagine, I mean, any random church in Winkler will do, we're in this one. So let's imagine this church was the tabernacle of Moses. During the day, from any point in the area, you could look in this direction and see this cloud that was right over the building during the day. Which would be pretty cool, but then at night, no one needed a nightlight. There was a fire over the tabernacle and they could see it during all their travels. This was for years. For years, there was a fire over the tabernacle of Moses. Oh my goodness. What would that have looked like? Can you imagine that? Like this is real. We gotta take this out of the realm of old Bible story happened a long time ago, maybe sort of fairy tale in our mind. This was real. They would tangibly see fire over the building. If you've ever wondered why there were so many commandments in Leviticus, this is why. Because for God to dwell in that sort of proximity to his people with his glory and his holiness, they had to be holy or they would get burnt up. But God, you see already in, in, in Exodus his desire to dwell tangibly in the midst of his people. But let's keep on going in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse um, 10 and 11. I'll go over this quickly. But this is when, the, when Solomon's temple was being built. It said, and the worship was just being established. It said, when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Now that word, could not stand to minister, it sometimes gets, gets translated as, as they couldn't minister. But I think actually not stand is, is the better translation of that word. There's a sense is that the presence of God was there in such power Filling that, te that temple of, 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 Mo or of Solomon, they couldn't stand on their feet. Which makes sense biblically. Like Revelation 1, uh, John sees resurrected Jesus. He falls to the ground like a dead man. <laughs> like that's, that, that makes sense biblically that that would be happening. And 1 Kings is also in the Bible. So that's biblical too. So we see though the glory of the Lord dwelling in their midst. Fast forward a whole bunch. Let's get even to the, the, the better stuff. In John 1, verse 14, John uses many different titles for Jesus. Well, one, of, one of the ones he uses a lot is he calls Jesus the Word. So he says the Word, or you could put in there, Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Again, it's, uh, God's desire to dwell in the midst of his people. He actually came and dwelt as a man and they could see him and touch him and hear his voice and have encounters with him, which was amazing. Jesus came and dwelt on the earth. But it keeps on going in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 5. talks about the Holy Spirit, how God has given us as a, the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So not only did God dwell in the Old Testament and in buildings... Not only did Jesus walk the earth as a man, God on, in the flesh walking the earth as a man, then he put his spirit on the inside of us. He's so passionate to dwell with us that he put his Holy Spirit on the inside of you. How much closer can he get, right? How much more intimate can this relationship get that God himself by his spirit dwells on the inside of you? It's his desire to dwell with us. And going on into Acts 2, 17 to 18, it says, In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And it almost sounds like God's talking about a faith that is filled with encounters, doesn't it? It almost sounds like, I mean, it absolutely sounds like, God was wanting encounters to be a key part of our faith. The only part? No. But a key part. And that's what I'm, we're talking about in this message. This was, this was important to him. But it gets better than that. It gets better than indwelling Holy Spirit. In Revelation 21, 1-4, John writes, he's in the midst of this encounter, and he said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And again, we see a God who wants to dwell tangibly in the midst of his people. We're going to be with him for eternity. Now, when we start talking about the presence of God, it's easy to get into a a bit of confusion because we've probably all had the same experiences. I've been in some church services I mean, I've often been the one probably <laughs> in them when I'm when they're like asking, Lord, I ask for more of your presence here this morning. And, and so we've, most of you have probably heard that. And then you've probably also been in church services where someone comes to the front and says, you know, it kind of bothers me when people ask for more of God's presence. He's here right now. It's God, we thank you that you're here right now. We thank you that your presence is here. And they open services up that way. Well, which person is right? Both of them. They're both right. Because the Bible talks about God's presence in different ways. So here's, there's probably more than this, but I'm going to highlight three of them this morning. And the, the first is his omnipresence. Omnipresence, basically just a big word to mean that there's no place you can go to flee from God. Psalm 139, 7 to 12 gives us a good description of this. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I'm down in the depths, you're there. The omnipresence of God is amazing. This truth, if we get it, is going to anchor your faith so strongly in knowing God. Because what it means is that he's always there. So when you're in that season when your life is falling apart, you don't know who to turn to, and God feels like he's a billion miles away from you, he's right there. He never leaves you. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Jesus said in Matthew 28, he says, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the ages. In the gospel of John, Jesus says, I have not left you. I will not leave you as orphans. So God is always with us. His omnipresence is amazing. You can root your faith in this reality because whether you feel him or not doesn't change the reality that he's with you all the time. The omnipresence of God is an amazing reality. All three of these are amazing. They are not on a tiered system of importance. The second one is, the Bible talks about, is his indwelling presence. Oh my goodness. John 14, verse 17, just a little quote from there is, he's talking to the disciples, and this was before the Holy Spirit was given to them fully. So the Holy Spirit was with them, but not in them. So he says, about the Holy Spirit, he says, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. And what he's talking about is when you become a believer... The Spirit of God comes and makes his home on the inside of you. This is an incredible reality. I just talked about right that, that, that pillar of cloud by day and that, that fire by night over the tabernacle of Moses. I believe that was the Spirit of God resting over in a visible way over that place. That same Spirit, that same cloud, that same fire dwells on the inside of you. This is another one, just like omnipresence, another, oh my goodness. How good is the gospel? Not only is God always with you, he actually dwells on the inside of you. Again, this is powerful. This is a powerful reality. We could, we wouldn't, I don't think we would ever exhaust, if we wanted to start preaching sermon series on this, we would never get to the end of this because you can't even really understand it. Like there's, there's a stunning miracle that, 
that I'm looking at people who house the Holy Spirit on the inside of you and none of us are exploding. (laughs) How is that even possible? That all takes us back to the glory of the cross and what Jesus did and, and washing us clean so that we could actually be a dwelling place for his Holy Spirit. Again, incredible, incredible. And then a third way the Bible talks about God's presence is by talking about his manifest or his tangible presence. And this is the one that I'm focusing in more on today. But again, I want want to say this with clarity. I could easily, and it's it's worth a worthy thing to do whole sermons on his omnipresence and indwelling presence. But I'm just focusing on the third of these. But I'm not in any way undermining the importance of those first two. God's manifest tangible presence is when God is tangibly present and no one can deny it. So some good biblical examples. I don't have the first one there in there, but Acts or Exodus 19, where God's spirit, his presence falls on Mount Sinai, and the mountain is, there's smoke coming up from it, there's fire, the whole mountain is shaking. <laughs> That's God's manifest presence. In Exodus 40, the one I just read, where his, that, that, that cloud over the temple, that's God's manifest presence. Those are two examples in the Old Testament. But we can get into the New Testament as well, Acts chapter 2. They're meeting together, but suddenly there's a sound of this mighty rushing wind. And then there's these tongues of fire, and the presence and power of God falls on them. No one could deny that God was there in that moment. Then you go a little bit further into Acts chapter 4. And they're in a place of, of fear because there's, there's real persecution. There's a real threat of their lives. So they ask for boldness. And in the midst of that, God comes and it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the place where they were meeting was shaken. God's tangible presence was there. The place was shaken. And I love the, like, the, the Acts 2 example because right after that, that shaking came, the manifest presence of God came, rested on them. They were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they went out and 3,000 people gave their lives to the Lord. Acts chapter 4, the presence, the manifest, tangible presence of God falls on that prayer meeting. And what's the fruit of it? You have to keep reading in chapter 5. You get past Ananias and Sapphira, and you find out these incredible miracles are being released. and, and And the fruit of those miracles is people are getting saved. Then in Acts chapter 10... Paul or uh, Peter is preaching at Cornelius' house. And again, the, the tangible presence of God comes. These people are filled with the Holy Spirit and they're all baptized. They give their lives to the Lord right there. A- Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus, where God is pouring out his spirit. And again, you see salvations. You see the power of God. This brings me to, to point three here in my notes, and I'm already probably halfway through it, but um, <laughs> David understood that when God's manifest or tangible presence comes, good things happen. (laughs) He could say everything changes. When God's tangible presence comes, addictions are broken like that. Historically, through church history, when his manifest presence comes, the hardest-hearted people, their hearts melt like butter before the presence of the Lord. Marriages get restored. Families get healed. Sickness gets dwelt with, gets dealt with. I think about the, the Cane Ridge revival. This is in the 1800s, early 1800s in Cane Ridge, Kentucky. They, they had what they called camp meetings. Basically, people would go to the middle of nowhere, horse and buggy, to hear the gospel being preached, and they'd have these, these camp preachers preaching, and and at its height, some of the numbers suggest there might have been as many as 10 or 20,000 people um, who would come together. They had no hotels, no like, infrastructure, anything. It's the middle of nowhere, so it must have been quite the scene. And then what would happen, there's, there's so many people there, you'd have a bunch of different preachers preaching at the same time, because there's no mic, so you just go to the one who's closest to you to hear the gospel being preached. One of these days when the, when the gospel was being preached, there's a guy who went there, because there were so many people going. The news reporters were reporting on it. So a secular reporter went to report on this thing. Um, the presence of God was so strong that they, they had a, a rule at some of these meetings that no one should go be up in trees because sometimes people would climb up to tr- in trees to, to see the person who was speaking. But the presence of God would come so, fall, or come so powerfully that people were actually falling out of trees. So they said, no, don't get in the trees. 
And this guy, he's writing down as a secular journalist what's going on. And as a guy, the guy's just up front, nothing fancy, no manipulation. He's just preaching the word of God. But the presence of God starts to come. And he said it looked like someone had opened up a barrage of military or artillery fire on them. And people just started falling down under the presence of God. Again, Revelation chapter 1, where John is before the resurrected Jesus. And he sees him, he's, oh my goodness, and he falls like a dead man. So this guy's recording, he's seeing it, but it's like, it's coming like in waves and it's coming across the group, but he's back over here. So it's coming like this way and it's getting close. He's like, oh my goodness. So he turns and he starts booking it because he doesn't, he doesn't want this God. He's just there as a reporter. But the presence of God, the tangible presence of God got closer and closer and it overtakes him. And he ends up on the ground encountering the Lord and giving his life to God. These things really happen. Now, do you need the tangible presence of God to follow Jesus? No. Do you need the tangible presence of God all over you to to walk in obedience to the word of God? No, you don't. Do you get any extra stars in heaven because you have encounters? I don't think so. That's not the point. See, David was in love. And David just wanted all of God that he could get. Was he faithful to God whether he felt God or not? Of course he was. But he knew that there was more. And more than that, David understood that, yeah, it's good when I have my own little relationship with God, but the the, the thing that's a step better is, is when other people start walking in the fruit of that too and other people start encountering him too because he's glorified in the midst of that. And so we see throughout scripture, and it's so clear in the book of Acts, it's so clear through the gospels that God, when he comes in his power and encounters people, Lives are transformed. People are set free. And again, I'm not talking about living your life for emotions. What I'm talking about is getting a vision for what David had of saying, oh God, I just have to have more of you. And oh God, Winkler has to have more of you. I remember one time um, doing street ministry in, in Winnipeg. I think I maybe told this story last year, but running into a woman who um, was severely demonized, um, her eyes changed color as she talked to us, incredibly bound up, incredibly broken. And honestly, I didn't really know what to do in that situation because the bondage was so severe. And I just remember walking away thinking, oh my goodness, if Jesus was here, this woman would have been set free and she would have been delivered from her bondage. What I'm not talking about is going after something so we can have a reputation for being cool. (laughs) What I'm talking about is pursuing God, first of all, because we're in love with him personally and we just want to be close to him. And secondly, is seeing a demonstration of his power because, man, we live in a nation that needs him so badly. The power and presence of God can break sexual confusion off of a generation. The power and presence of God can turn a broken family around. The power and presence of God can break off the power of addiction. And we actually see the last prayer of the church in Revelation chapter 22 at the end of the story where there's this this Maranatha cry, the spirit and the bride say, come. There's this lovesick bride who's just saying, oh, Jesus, I just want you to come. I just want more and more and more of you. Are we always going to feel God's presence? I I maybe know one or two people who, who say that they do, but that sure hasn't been my experience. I don't think it was David's experience. But again, this isn't about, this isn't about that. This isn't about condemnation. It's an invitation. God, I want more of you. And I think the Lord wants to release that in our hearts in a greater way. So what do we do with this? I want to leave you with three points this morning. The first is this. And I think this point has probably been in like three or four of my last five sermons. So it just keeps coming back. But whatever. I assume you don't remember every word I say. 
invitation, an invitation to hunger for more of God personally. David knew, I believe that David knew that God loved him whether he felt God or not. That wasn't the issue. But he hungered for more of God's presence nonetheless. David lived in a place of hunger. This requires humility. Because it requires admitting that there's more of God than what we think we have. So for example, Pharisees come up with Jesus in the flesh and it doesn't fit their box of who he is and they say no. Practically, I think it means we have to humble ourselves before God. A good example in David's life was when he was dancing before the Lord. And there's two responses. There's David who dances before the Lord and then there's his wife who's like, I can't believe you would do that. What about your reputation? David, what about your reputation in the community? You have a reputation as this good, solid man. Now you're dancing like a common fool. And David's like, I I don't care. I couldn't care less. Because he was desperate for God. I remember in my my later 20s, listening to a 14-year-old girl pray, a friend of mine um, now, um, and realizing that 14-year-old carries something I don't have, I want it. I hear the way she talks to God and I realize she has something in God that I don't have. I want more of what she has. Recently, over the last month, uh, Pastor Josue coming on staff, me and him have prayed together. We get together from time to time here at church and we pray for the youth and young adults of this area. And as that guy prays for more of God, oh my goodness, I love praying with Josue because it's like, I pray with him and it's like, he understands something about the glory and worth of Jesus that I don't understand. And I don't care that he's half my age. I, I want more of what he has because I recognize that he has something that's real. And humility means that it doesn't matter what your reputation is or how much you think that you have of God. You understand that at best we're only like dipping a toe in the water of the knowledge of God as revealed in Scripture. And often when we get challenged in our faith, I've been in many churches where I've seen this, and I've seen the people at the back with the arms crossed, and they can be in the front too. But, and I sit with my arms crossed because I'm comfortable, so I'm not, you know, it's okay if your arms are crossed. But, but I see this face of like, hmm, I don't know kind of thing, you know? And it's like, um, we can make all the excuses we want in the world to be far from the Lord. But I want to live in the place of hunger for more of Jesus. Right? If a man after God's own heart, David, could pray, God, I want to dwell in your house and I want to gaze on you. I want to know you. I want to encounter you. It's legal for us to pray the same thing. My faith isn't based on that. It's based on the work on the cross, the finished work of Christ on the cross. But I want all of him that I can have. Secondly, we need to be consecrated. Consecration is key. Hebrews 12 verse 14 says this, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. I'll just stop there. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. (laughs) I read through that this morning and I'm like, oh, (laughs) There's fire on those words, eh? There's Holy Spirit on those words. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Is that a description of us? Or do we sometimes self-righteously think, well, I have a reason to be upset with them. (laughs) He says to make every effort to be in peace with everyone and to be holy. Make every effort to be holy. God wants to do something in us as a family that's going to require greater levels of concentration. I've heard it said this way, it's not, so mu- not about, so much about how much you have of God, but how much of you, do- or how much does God have of you? Are we making every effort to be holy? I 
think we have some times where we need to be turning off the TV and putting the iPhone away and opening up the Word of God. I think we have some things in our lives, all of us, all of us, myself included, where we've kind of said, yeah, this isn't great, but it's not a big deal. (laughs) And it says, make every effort to be holy. And we could be a dwelling place for his presence. Because it says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I think what this is talking about is that God loves everyone equally. But I think there are encounters for us as we consecrate ourselves more fully to him too. Are you willing to get rid of compromise in your life? Are you willing to get rid of sin? Psalm 132 verse 1 says, Remember David and all of his self-denial. Maybe another way of saying this is Luke 9, 23, which won't be up there, but where Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who would come after me must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What we're doing is we're saying no to eating mud pies so that we can have the steak. We're saying no to lesser pleasures so that we can have the superior pleasures of God. We're emptying ourselves of ourselves because we want more of him. And then finally, we need to ask for more of God's presence and activity around us. For myself, I just find this desire in me where it's like, oh, I refuse to live with less than what I see in the pages of the Bible. Yeah, I don't function in the power that I see in the book of Acts. I'm not doing all the things that I see in the book of Acts, but I'm not okay with that either. I want it, not not so I look cool. I don't care about that. I want it because I know that there's people who desperately need a people of God who are walking in his presence and power. And I want to pray for his presence to come powerfully in Winkler, not because I want an encountered faith. It's just that I know that when 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 the hurting and broken person comes into the doors and they meet with the presence of Jesus, everything changes. And so we need to ask for that presence. I think about our youth retreat here a couple of months ago, and um, we had one guy who had had ACL injury ongoing for, for two years, and we prayed for him during that retreat, and felt a little bit better, wasn't healed. But three weeks later, he comes to youth group, and the pain is completely gone. And after two years of dealing with that injury, he's completely healed. We had another guy and I love this testimony. He, he, had, had, uh, he had COVID and lost his, his sense of taste. And his friends prayed for him. And his sense of taste comes back. So the next morning, it's awesome. We're like sitting having a, a soup at camp. And it was an okay soup. I'm not a big soup guy. Most, I, I, I don't think he was either. But, but we're having soup the next morning. He's like, guys, this is so good. And he's like sitting with a group of his, his buddies from high school. And they're like, dude, are, like, are you for real? And kind of like, come on, it's just soup, man. And he's like... No, you don't understand. I haven't tasted food in months. (laughs) Because when the power and presence of God comes, everything changes. Guys, I know the Lord's doing stuff in our midst, but I also know there's more. And one of the things I love about these Psalms about David is that they stir in me desire. God, I don't want to allow any rest to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I have more of you in my own life too. Again, this is not about, this is not a message of condemnation. It's a message of invitation. Again, our faith is rooted not in experience. It's rooted in what Jesus did on the cross when he died for us. But it's thoroughly biblical to ask for more. So why don't you just rise with me and we're going to close off by asking for more. I apologize for going a little long. This is as fast as I could do it. (laughs) It's trouble when we have these longer breaks in between services. (sighs) 
Jesus, we want more of you. Lord, I don't even know what it means when David prayed or David wrote so that I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. I just know that there's no end to your glory and beauty and at best I've seen a very little amount of it in my own life. So God, we ask, show us your glory. God, I ask by your Holy Spirit that you would fill us with a deeper hunger. Lord, I ask that that hunger, it would, it would actually manifest into times of just being with you in the word. Times of worship, times of prayer. Turning off the distractions and sitting down and being with you. God, I ask that you would, you would give us grace to hunger and thirst for you. And Father, I ask for a dwelling place for your presence here in our community. God, we ask for your glory to come. God, I ask that you would manifest your presence and power here in Winkler in every single congregation that names your name. Jesus, that you would come in power, that you would set captives free, that you would heal the sick, that you would set free the ones who are in bondage. Lord, that, that you, would, you would bring to salvation those who don't know you. God, we want more. God, we want more. I ask, God, that you would silence the lie of the enemy to justify living with less than the fullness of you dwelling on the inside. Lord, anything that we use to justify being lukewarm, God, we ask that it would fall to the side. That the cry of our heart would be, I just want you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If there's anything we can do to help you along in your journey, email prayer at gmchurch.ca. If you'd like to see what's coming up at Gospel Mission Church or learn more about us, visit gmchurch.ca.